Hey, thanks for listening to the NIL Show, a Campus Inc. production. You can catch us on YouTube, anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts, and on a campus near you. If you're out there interested in being a guest or having an NIL store for your campus merch, find us on any social channel or email. All right, I just Googled top 10 athlete turned investors. Shaquille O'Neal. Shocker. Shaq, baby. DJ, what's his, Diesel? DJ DJ Diesel. Diesel. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the NIL Show. I'm Adam. That's Steven. There's Sean over there, so you know where you're at. The NIL Show here with Campus Inc. This is episode four, season two. Excited to keep things rolling. Another great week of college sports behind us. Looking at the slate of what's on the schedule coming up this weekend. It does not stop. The hits keep coming. How are you guys? Doing We're well. And <laughs> Sounds the, the great. Real, the, the, the real question is how how Steven doing after just completing the Chicago Marathon over the weekend? We preach it's a marathon, not a sprint. So decided <laughs> to try it out. And Sean Allenby ran uh, seven, six miles. I don't know how long he ran with me, Sean. I was dying. <laughs> I jumped in there for a little bit. You, you had people, I think you had people a, along the entire way cheering you on. Didn't you? I, you had pretty good su- support I had a, a cohort and the merch game was strong and the signage was strong and I wouldn't be able to do it with a little help from my friends. So I'm <laughs> I very... I mean, when you work... When you work for a, uh, a merchandise and signage company, you, you you better you better bring out all the stops when your CEO is running in a marathon. Yeah, I, I wasn't expecting anything, and the funny story is like, Adam, you were at my bachelor party for my bachelor party friends. I always make them goofy Hawaiian shirts. <laughs> now, Adam, you didn't work at Campus Inc. at the time, neither did Watson, but you know they may have forgot to do anything for my bachelor party because like I usually do that. <laughs> So I was like, I'm not expecting anything. No hopes. Like if they do anything great. If not, no big deal. You know, it's there's a lot going on, and and you guys came out with all the stops. So it's a new it's uh, a new era, baby. Shout out to uh, Sean Childers. I have no creative, technical, creative ability. So I just gave him some good direction, and he came up with really cool T-shirt design. You had Frenchy fat heads. Uh, it was it was a beautiful thing, man. It was a great day. A lot of merch. It was a great day. Anyways, and what else? What you, you an can, incredible you know. race, too, because you were a participant in the world record setting Chicago Marathon, which is, I yes. don't know if you set the world record, but you were there. You did. Uh, you know, when I compare my splits to his, I believe he <laughs> ran exactly uh, two times faster. <laughs> so uh, plus like two or three minutes. So uh, it was a pleasure and honor to be on the same, to, to run across the same ground that he so quickly ran across. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, was, it was a great day. Lots of accomplishments on the marathon course. Lots of accomplishments across college football, women's soccer. Had a walk-off field goal, Colorado, to, to get a good, a good win this weekend. Got some merch out there. What else was going on this last weekend, Sean? Things are heating up. It's kind of crazy. Basketball. I saw Big Ten Media Day for basketball was yesterday for men's and women's. So that is coming very, very quickly here as we approach mid-October. A lot of times crossover season is the best time of the year where you have football and basketball and soccer and volleyball and wrestling, all these different sports converging at one time. A lot of people say it's the best time of year to watch college sports. So it's it's uh, special. We're getting there. We're moving quickly. Get a bowl of chili, hunker down, nice cozy afternoon. October's the best month of the year, man. Sean, when you were at Maryland, 
What was that like? How did you guys run interference with everything going on and prioritizing how to market it and storytell? Like, you got basketball, and Maryland's doing pretty well in football right now, so I'll give, give you a chance to, to Thank you for them. that. How did you guys pull that off? Because as I look inside athletic departments, like, it's a work of art. Yeah, I, I think it's just one of those things that's kind of expected with the job. You know that it's coming. We call it crossover season in college athletics, where, quite honestly, a lot of the facilities people who are making sure that the grounds are, are pristine for the athletes, the athletic trainers, those are really the unsung heroes during that period of time who are making sure that they're covering base for their field hockey team, but then they're also getting to their wrestling team. And it is it is a lot of hours and, and a lot during the day to happen, but ultimately it is, it is what it is in college athletics. You kind of know what you're signing up for. You're going to have long hours. You're going to work on weekends, hopefully make up for a little bit of that time during the summer. But yeah, crossover season it's, but it's exciting too, because a lot of those fall sports are going into postseason play. And if you have a winter sport, yes, on the one hand, it's nice if your fall sport ends early because you're like, okay, I, I, I can just focus on one sport, but also if that fall sport is going deep in the postseason, that's exciting too. And that's a headache that's worth having because uh, ultimately you just want your athletes to to find success and hopefully end up with a, a hat and a ring at the end of the day. So it, it's an awesome time. Definitely some late nights, but just comes with the territory of working in, in college and, sports for sure. And now, Sean, you have to run interference on 35 active schools um, with all their sports. <laughs> so comes with a job. Yeah. 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 Again, team effort. Everybody, everybody knows what it is, right? This is our opportunity. This is our opportunity to make our mark. So let's do it. Uh, a, true, a true labor of love. I was uh, a couple weeks ago, we stopped at Louisville, um, stopped at Western Kentucky on the way down to Nashville. And I was talking to uh, Zach McKay at Louisville. And I was like, man, it's just a different ball game when you're trying to manage 35 properties versus one property. So props to you, Sean. W- worth it? It's a labor of love. Worth it? I would say it's worth it. It's, it's a young man's game. It's a young man's <laughs> game when you're in your 20s and you can travel all over the place. But you did bring up those NIL directors like Zach McKay. We, we've, we've gone really friendly with them across the country. And I I think we'll see that a lot of those athletic departments, if they do have an NIL director, it's generally just one. And I think that we're going to see here in the next couple of years, that's going to become an entire department of people. Mm -hmm. Um, The fact that those NIL directors are handling everything on their own is incredible. It's it's something that happens, I think, when you have something new. You're like, okay, let's see how one person handle it. Oh, crap. Uh, he's getting work to the bone. We might lose this guy. We need to add, we need to add some help, right? I mean, we're seeing it across the board. Like those, the, the amount of stuff that they do is incredible. Servicing all the athletes, the coaches, the administrators, and everybody wants a piece of the pie. Does that, that feel a little close to home, Sean? <laughs> yeah, I just, I feel for him. I feel for him. I think it's, I think it's difficult for those, for those guys to handle it. They're under a lot of pressure. NIL is literally the like most important, the hottest topic at all these schools. And um, a lot of times it's one person in those role and, and everybody looking at them saying hey what are you doing for my athletes what are you doing what are you doing we got to keep up it's tough and and every coach like their sport is the most important right and so yeah i think that the pressure that they face you have to educate our alumni you have to educate donors you need to point them to the collective you need to take care of parents when they have weird questions find opportunities it is an entire department shout out to all you nil directors out there we see you and we acknowledge everything you're doing and we love it. So ben, we're here if, for you. If, if you don't follow Ben Chase, who's the NL director at University of Florida, he's got a, a huge Twitter following, traveled around the country, visited every college football stadium. He tweeted a couple weeks ago, just like basically a job description for an NL director. Like, what do I do on my daily basis? And 
uh, let's just say you you have to be verified on Twitter to write that post because it is significantly <laughs> more than 140 characters. But yeah, it's it, it spans the breadth and it's changing every day. I mean, we're seeing legislation, you know, on the table right now. Dartmouth is, you know, Unionizing. their men's basketball team is lobbying for unionization, which we've seen before. But now the landscape has changed. It's, you got to keep up with a lot, man. I think Amanda Kristovich tweeted out yesterday. She was like, and another NIL legislation conversation <laughs> happening in Congress. She's like, these people also have jobs to do outside of NIL. Like, this isn't the only yeah. thing that's going on in the world right now. It's yeah. really funny to hear Amanda's like wittiness and sarcasm come out. <laughs> Very dry, very to the point. She tells it like it is. Adam, what do you, you got a couple things for us today. What do you want to talk about? Yeah, you know, I, I got an email from somebody recently that was asking me about, you know, last year, Roger Federer crossed over to become a billionaire. So he's the next in the list of billionaire athletes, joins LeBron James, joins Michael Jordan, joins, you know, Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo, all on this like crazy trajectory. And they asked me, you know, what, what do you see as a common thread between these types of athletes? Why is this continuing to grow? Who, who do you think is next? But, but what is it about this echelon that allows them to reach this next insane amount of wealth as an athlete? And, I, you know, I, I think that's just a really interesting question because obviously when Air came out this last year, everybody was all excited to, you know, kind of learn the story of how Michael Jordan became the brand himself with Nike. And, and he really was one of the first ones to bridge that gap of an influencer athlete. That's exactly what we're watching happen in real time in college sports right now. And I think it's important to draw that parallel of, hey, let's, there's a huge amount of opportunity on the table here for these athletes. And that's why they're fighting so hard. I think it's, you have such an interesting perspective on the influencer ecosystem and economy, Stephen. I think it's interesting to to talk about what that shift is at the college level and how to how to capitalize on it. Yeah, and to be frank, like you guys educate me more on this stuff, right? Like uh, I'm I'm learning and I'm I'm more new to it. <laughs> uh, you should have seen like the first month. Adam had to like brief me of like, okay, this is the school. This is how you spell this. That uh, don't say that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, there's all, obviously like these f famous athletes that go on and play in the NBA, NFL, do that, and they make great money, life changing money, and they're millionaires. And then there's this like next level of like, I don't call it stupid rich, but like like disgusting amounts of wealth, like billions of dollars, hundreds and millions of dollars. And what what did they have to do in their career to make those like level up moves? Right. Because there, there must have been like levels where it was like, well, you know, popped and popped and popped and popped and popped. And I'm just curious, like, what do you guys see? Obviously, LeBron, right? Like incredible athlete but there's also other extremely talented athletes out there like what did you see that he did early on to get there and, and maybe we can talk about some of those athletes like there's a Beckham documentary out right now too I'm, I'm curious to hear from you guys I think when I when I look at this list of current billionaire athletes so as Adam said Federer LeBron MJ Cristiano Ronaldo Lionel Messi I think the one common thread amongst all five of those and we're always looking at things from an American lens so NFL always hits home close to us because NFL is the biggest sport here, right? Major League Baseball always hits close to home. Those aren't necessarily sports that transcend around the world like mm. a soccer does or like a tennis does. Basketball, to their credit, 
has sort of breached into that, especially as they've, they've in the 90s and early 2000s, it was super important for them to get into China and the Asian countries around the world. And I think that that's the first most important thing. Is it, is it a sport that you're playing that transcends uh, across cultures? Because obviously the more people that know who you are, the more people that know what you're doing can support you and, and help Wait, you are, along that are journey. You saying so that, that, are you saying that sports <laughs> in the U.S.? aren't the biggest in the world? Apparently they're not. I, I, you know, Are you I, saying I'm that stunned by that. Because we don't watch soccer as much, they, they can't be a big deal everywhere else? Stephen A. Smith isn't the biggest name uh, around the world <laughs> yapping about football all the time? I mean, if you think about Messi, right? Like, obviously him coming to the States is incredible, but every, like, when I travel the world, if I travel the world, like, I was in Bolivia and I was on a mission trip. The one common thing we could talk about was soccer and we could talk about Messi and Ronaldo and this and that, right? Like every part of the globe knows soccer. So I think there's something there. Do you think, though, just because it's a global sport, those athletes have made those jumps? Like what is it if you look at a Ronaldo or a Messi, what did they do in their careers to make make the huge jumps? I think if you look at those two specifically, and it's a great example because they are they play the same sport. They're two of they're two sides of arguably the same coin, right? Like in the debate of the greatest to ever play it, but are very different skill set archetypes, right? And also very different personalities. Ronaldo is the, you know, quintessential superstar. He's the quintessential brand, you know, the the, the Portuguese Ken. Messi is a little different, right? He's much more soft-spoken. You almost never hear him in interviews. You almost never hear him speaking English. Does very little PR. But I think there are two things, and if you look at that list that Sean said, that really separate them from everybody else. And the first is everybody on that list is at the top of their game. That's just like the the base level. You can't be mediocre or have a short-lived career and expect to get to that stupid level that you were talking about, Stephen. But I think the other thing that they all did really well and at the right time, they didn't do it too early, they didn't do it too late, was they began to diversify their brand away from their sport. And, you know, Ronaldo probably gets a lot of flack from having too much going on. You know, he's got a cologne, he's Hmm. got an underwear line, he's got everything that you can imagine in basically every continent you can imagine. Messi has more of like a, a, a different brand of apparel and merchandise and things like that. But they both broke off and created this other identity outside of their sport that allowed them to monetize essentially infinitely, right? Because now your market is not just sports fans. Your market is anybody who wants that particular product plus sports fans. Do you think that's really good advice they got? Do you think that was people in their camp guiding them? Is that the work of agents? Like, you know, same with LeBron, like, like, I mean, you just see athletes get so much influence at a young age and it's it's all got to like work really well. What do you look at as like, is it the athlete? Is it their camp? I don't know. It's it's probably all of the above. When I look at LeBron, when I look at Michael Jordan, it was a combination of good advice, whether it be from an agent or, you know, in Michael Jordan's case, his mom, uh, it, you know, LeBron basically created his own agency of his own circle. So I think it was a combination of good advice, but also striking while the iron was hot. And that doesn't necessarily mean as early as you can. I think you see a a huge spike in LeBron's wealth way later in his career 
than when all of the hype was around him when he was, you know, coming into the league or when he even left and went to Miami. There was so much hype around LeBron when he was leaving Cleveland to go to Miami. But a lot of this, I think, spike in his his wealth came with opening the schools, taking a stance on social issues uh, that kind of brought his identity around to the pop culture outside of basketball. So it was striking when the iron was hot, but recognizing that just because the hype about me in my sport is really high right now, doesn't mean that's the time to diversify my brand. So I, that's, that's my hot, my hot off the top of my head take right now. How does NIL change this, right? Like now they're lowering essentially the, the drinking age, right? Like they can start doing this right out of the gates. If you were to look into a glass ball, how does 10 years from now look? That's a great question. I, I think stark difference that I think you'll see is that now athletes who are in college are getting a jump start on that professional career. Whereas before, and I guess in LeBron's case, it's interesting, LeBron never went to college. So immediately after college, he's making money. Michael Jordan played in, I don't know, how, how long was Michael Jordan at Carolina? Three years? Four years? Four, all four? He had to wait a little bit to start making that money. So I think simply athletes having that jump start in their professional careers right after graduating from high school uh, where they can start to learn business and start to learn deals and have agents and start to learn negotiation power i think that'll go a long way towards athletes building that foundation while they're in college while they are on those high platforms um, to allow them to succeed and set them on a path per, for professional success that other college athletes wouldn't have had in the past. Couldn't you argue that, okay, let's just take MJ for example, like, or LeBron for that matter, like Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, right? Like the creator economy tools were not there yet. So they relied on brand partnerships, right? And so now that we have this creator economy where an athlete can really actually build their brand by themselves, they like we look at some of the top athletes, they've been doing this since they were in high school, mm -hmm. right? Like their Instagram and Twitter and socials, like they look incredible already and they've done it. Do you think that a college athlete is less worried about going pro now because they're building their brand and they've got some like, do you feel like it's less about going pro now? I, I don't think it's less about going pro. I think the urgency has shifted. I mean, Caleb Williams quarterback at USC just said the other day, like, I can make just as much money. I can make more money staying in college for another year than I will in my rookie contract my first year in the NFL. But I think the most important thing is not the money. He also said that means that if a team that I don't want to play for is the only one that drafts me, I'm not going. And so it's, it's not just about the money. And I think that's the frustrating thing in a lot of this conversation is not that what we're having, but on the macro level, everybody's like, oh, they don't need to go because the money's not there. It's like you can't forget that in college, just like in pros, LeBron James loves playing basketball. He's not doing it just for the money. He still wants to win championships, right? And same with these college kids. They still want to live out their dream. They still want to go pro. What it has allowed them to do, though, is make the decision on their terms instead of being forced to make a decision for financial reasons or based on what, you know, some other big business is saying. So I think the, the answer to your question is it has moved, it has removed some of the urgency and it has shifted 
more of the decision-making power back to the athlete, which is a good thing. So Caleb's got a pretty good life at USC too. I would say (laughs) Caleb's got a pretty good life. Southern California, big man on campus. It's not bad. Angel Reese said the same thing. Angel Reese was on that same page with him. I mean, you go to the NFL, that could go south very quickly, right? Like I, I, you know, I wonder if Justin Fields wishes he was still at Ohio State sometimes, right? Like, <laughs> he's got to deal with us Bears fans, you know? <laughs> Let me ask you guys this. Like, tell me if this is correct or incorrect. Isn't there, like, a large majority of athletes that make a lot of wealth quickly and then, like, lose it all because they 100%. don't know how to spend it or manage it or whatever? And, like, th- that does happen, right? I'm not crazy. Okay. 100%. Yeah. And, and I think that that's another... another great thing of NIL is you're not taking somebody who has never made any money, has never been allowed to make any money. And then one day, literally in one day flipping the switch and saying, Hey, you're a multimillionaire all of a sudden. It's a much more of a slow ramp up, um, which I think is great. And so I wonder if, if we were to look 10 years from now, there probably is going to be more stability amongst former athletes financially. Right. Because they've been making money or because they started earlier, because they have things around them, um, you're not going to see these crazy spikes at 40 years old. They're working a Homeless. random job. <laughs> yeah. 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 Almost, for that yeah. matter. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I think the greatest fear is, yeah, they, they go out and spend all their money or two, they get so wrapped up in the off the field deals. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is every parent's greatest fear, every coach's greatest fear. They get so wrapped up in that off-court stuff that they ultimately forget about what made them get those deals in the first place, which was their on-field or on-court play, right? And so that sustained success is reliant on you continuing to stay at the top of your game. So could you also argue, Sean, that though NIL could be a distraction from your game? It has the potential to be. I mean, it has the potential to be. And that's what, like, that's the big argument that coaches always say. And that's the big argument. And look, ultimately, it comes down to the individual athlete. And I know Adam hates that a lot. I disagree with you a little bit, Adam, where I do think, like, it can become a distraction if you let it become a distraction. <laughs> I right? like that. Like, 100%. I don't, I don't disagree with that thought. I think the argument about that being a problem is such a crock because it's like, Oh, so you're saying that doesn't happen in the pros? You're saying when guys go pro or girls go pro that they never have any problems getting distracted by brand deals now? They never have any problems getting distracted by the wealth and the new lifestyle? No, that also happens in the pros. That's a personal issue that you need to have self-discipline around to manage. That That's not like, oh, no, NIL caused this. No, that happens, period. It's not an excuse. That's not a reason to take away legislation. You just do need you, to not allow that to happen. Do you think that athletes will think that their brand deals will last longer than they actually do? Like, what's the half-life of, like, I'll use Doug Eddard as an example, right? Like, went crazy during Dougie March Buckets. Madness, right? Probably made a decent amount of money. Probably thought he was going to be a millionaire because of it. Maybe he is, maybe not, whatever. And he kind of goes back, back in his kind of corner, right? Do you think that there's this like, oh my gosh, if I go viral or if I get this or if I have all these brand deals, it's going to last me for life? Like, do, do you think that it's also false hope maybe? Not necessarily. I, I think like anything, it's a, just a matter of striking while the iron's hot and recognizing that moment. For some, for some people, that moment might just be a 
Short blip on the radar. It's, it's no different than somebody who's on a reality show to get famous, at, right? And they're going on Big Brother. Yeah, it's cool to be on the show, but really they just want to become uh, an influencer on social media, a lot of them. And so they're going to try to take advantage of uh, as much of that 15 minutes of fame as they can. Some are able to sustain, but the large percentage of it, it's a very quick like shot in the dark. But hey, if they can make take advantage of that moment while they have it, good on them. I think that's really important for them to do. They earned it. And, and I, I think that's where like this is starting to shift. So if you guys um, haven't been keeping up on the news, there is uh, new legislation that was submitted that allows schools to ha- take a much more active role in helping athletes navigate brand deals, particularly as it relates to like legal and, and uh, tax advice, which I think is good because to your point, Sean, like it's a blip on the radar. That's the reality of it. You should know that. You should recognize that. And that's okay if it's a blip on the radar for you. But I do think, Stephen, to your point, there's a lot of young people who this is so new, so flashy, so shiny, that they're not recognizing this is my one shot and it will go away tomorrow. Not Mm. for any bad reason. It's just Mm -hmm. that's how the markets work. And when you can have people who are much more removed, much more incentivized, motivated by education, I think you're going to see people recognize and, and mitigate those risks a lot better than they are right now. I mean, you know, athletes should be going through wealth management classes like wealth management 101, tax planning, you know, like life insurance stuff. Like when you when you build wealth and you're doing it at such a young age, you're, you're very vulnerable. And so I hope Congress can figure it out. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the other part of this conversation, too, that I always feel a responsibility to uh, uh, to recalibrate is most of the things that we're talking about right now apply to three sports at the college level, maybe, maybe four. Right. Where we're, we're talking about this national scale, this huge amount of wealth that's available because of what you're doing on the court. The rest of the college ecosystem should be approaching this very differently, right? They should be approaching it with a much more educational, professional development, you know, career focused lens than this is my shot to be famous or big. And that's, that's where, I don't know, Sean, you and I talk about this a lot. Like I get so frustrated with the legislation that comes out and, oh, we're going to remodel college athlete athletics. Okay, and you're going to marginalize or completely eliminate 60% of the sports in the ecosystem. So I don't know. It's it's interesting. It's sexy to talk about, you know, the the massive amount of wealth, the opportunity. But there's still a a very present reality. Rowing, swim and dive, wrestling, women's lacrosse, women's field hockey that what, what are we going to do? Yeah. And, and I think, so what's pretty cool is we get to meet a lot of investors, other sports tech companies, and it's always fun when someone says, I was a former athlete and I'm working for a venture fund, or I was a former athlete and now I work for this startup, or I was a former yeah. athlete. Now I do this and I do that. I hope that we as an industry can help create more of those opportunities. Like it's, you know, like, having athletes apply for roles at campus Inc. Now Mm -hmm. I look at that right away and I'm like, they've been in their shoes, right? Like they've been in their shoes. They get it. So 
hopefully there is more career progression because I just think a college athlete's way more disciplined than any of us. So like I'll totally hire them. I, I think that's super rad. Okay. What about college athletes owning and starting companies like angel investing, right? Like we went and pitched at an angel event and mm-hmm. minimum check size is $10,000. How crazy would it be if college athletes could actually put their money into a fund? Yeah. I mean, bringing it full circle, that's, you look at Serena Williams, right? And how, how she's using her wealth. You look at Steph Curry and how he's using his wealth. When you talk about creating bigger opportunities, it's exactly what you just said. It's giving them those opportunities to invest, to own, to start companies at a much younger age. We know how interest works. Like that's how you can leverage your influence, your position into generational wealth. So I really hope people, student athletes are listening to our podcast, (laughs) listen to your advice because you're really sharp on all this stuff. And that's a cool opportunity. It would be really freaking cool if we could start an angel fund of college athletes, get it managed by, you know, someone that knows VC to invest in companies. How cool would that be? If there are any athletes out there that are actively investing, I think that's super cool. Come be a guest. Come be yeah, a guest on our come. show. We want to pick your brain on it. But but why not, right? Like if some of these athletes have an extra 10 grand or whatever and they can learn how to angel invest small check sizes or incubate or work with the venture arm of their university, now they're pretending to be sharks. They're learning about valuations. They're probably, they probably need some guidance because everything looks shiny in the venture world. Uh, <laughs> they'll probably lose some money. But like, that's how you make that generational wealth is, you know, if an athlete can take 100 grand and spread it over 10 companies and one can turn into, you know, $10 million. Um, those are some crazy cool stories. I, I hope we hear about them. It's probably still too early. Um, have you heard about any college athletes like really launching a company and owning it or the only one that I really can think of was Sean Clifford at Penn State, who was a quarterback five or six years there, spent a long time. He he launched his own collective last year. I, I recall that one. I, I'm not sure how that one's going so far, but beyond that, no, I can't really think of it too much. Well, if anyone well, wants I, to do that. <laughs> yeah, and this is the cool thing you're talking about, you know, finding <clears throat> mentors or advice. There are a growing every day, a growing group of athletes who are turning into angel investors. I mean, you talk about NBA players investing in WA and NBA expansion or NWSL expansion. You talk about like what Kobe did, right? With body armor, he invested early in a ton of athletes invested in ring. So there's this like growing cohort of former pro athletes that are really diving deep into this space. And it's, it's going to be exciting to watch, you know, One of the things we love about sports is that it allows you the opportunity to change your station in life, right? It's, 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 it's an underdog industry and we can dive into that a lot more, but it's cool Um, to watch that next iteration happen. It's just cool to watch that next, next iteration happen of not just like achieving professional accomplishments, but financial accomplishments as well. All right. I just Googled top 10 athlete turned investors, Shaquille O'Neal. Shaq, baby. DJ, what's his, D- Diesel? DJ, DJ Diesel. Diesel. Invested in Ring, right? Vitamin water, the like uh, the aura. Auntie Ann's pizzas, right? And like he owns a ton Probably of Probably the guys. general. 
Yeah. <laughs> Serena Williams, Roger Federer, LeBron, right? You know, Kevin Durant invested in Whoop, Coinbase, Overtime, A-Rod, right? We've, we've seen his name come up a bunch. Magic Johnson, Chris Smalling. I don't know. That's super cool. I, I'm going to dig into this more. I think and and a really good podcast or newsletter, Andrew uh, Petcash has has a good one, uh, where he talks a lot about athlete investing. You guys just uh, struck a good nerve with me there, so <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll I'll report back. I love um, it. I'll report back. I have one piece of homework for you guys oh, and Lord. all listeners. If you haven't list or if you haven't watched the Beckham documentary on Netflix. And you are interested in athletes becoming influencers, cultural icons. David Beckham's documentary on Netflix is awesome. I'm three episodes down, one more to go. Talk about an athlete who transcended culture. Marrying Posh Spice, Victoria, certainly helps a lot. She was at the top of her game with the Spice Girls at that time. Uh, but David Beckham, it was a classic. It's a classic back and forth with him and the legendary Sir Alex, Sir Alex Ferguson, who was the head coach of Manchester United, who had known him since he was a boy, and he's trying to protect him as David is getting all these new deals, and it's driving Sir Alex Ferguson crazy because he's worried about his game going down the tubes a little bit, which it doesn't, to David's credit. He stays at the top of his game. And so that's my piece of homework for you guys. Maybe we can talk about it a little bit more next week. Um, Sean, but I really, get, really interesting. I got an almost two-year-old man. I'll, I'll report back to you in 2025 and let you know what, <laughs> what, what I thought of that. <laughs> All right. I'm going to share with you guys one thing. There, there's two articles. So I was just Googling. I saw an article a couple of weeks ago about how big influencer marketing is an industry. I can't cite my sources here too much. Just a quick Google search. <laughs> but based on like a benchmark report said influencer marketing has grown into a $21 billion industry. And Instagram continues to be the most preferred platform. It has the highest ROI for influencers and it's it's making them the most money. And it's even better for like smaller influencers. TikTok has the best engagement. I also, in Google searching this, found an article from 2017 that said Instagram influencer marketing is a billion dollar industry. Wow. And it said it should be a five to $10 billion in industry by 2020, where small influencers can make $50 a post. Um, <laughs> isn't that just crazy to think, you know, in, in six years, right? 25 times, the market has gotten 25 times bigger based on the tools that the world has given us. Right. And then you throw NIL into it and now you have 200, 300,000 more influencers. Like I know T Swift gets credit for economic impact. NIL should 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 have some economic impact. And I hope that we can see that at some point. Well, and we had Bill Carter uh, NIL research poll on last week and he, he did a ton of research that said athletes have a five and a half percent greater reach than any other industry. Uh, influencer. So the, why do you think the, that is Adam? I, I mean, I think they're not out there on their own influencing. They are in collaboration with one of the most visible brands. You know, if, if you're playing for the new England Patriots, it's not just you, you are also associated with all of the reach, uh, that the Patriots have as well. So you're, you're, it's like a little bit of a, a Mario star, booster there for you sean why do you think college athletes are better for roi and influence agreed totally with the brand that's number one to be connected if you play for ohio state football 
you're connected to Ohio State's brand. So ultimately, automatically, they are boosting you and you're able to, to ride that. But also number two, why sports influencers are so successful, I think is because you have built in wins and losses. You have dramatic moments that are always coming where I think like actors and musicians, they sort of have to manufacture those moments a little bit more. Sports, hmm. like, like you can make great content, content from wins. You can make even better content probably from losses. Like how are you going to respond from that? How do, how do you respond from it? And how, do, how does the audience see you at your most vulnerable moment? Okay, I'm going to give you my take. My take is that athletes have different communities that support them. And so if you think about, they have their hometown. And I think people really undervalue how much hometown supports college athletes. Like I knew who at Barrington High School, we knew Molly Pfeiffer was the best soccer player at Barrington High School, went on (laughs) Mm -hmm. to play collegiate soccer, right? There were only a couple of people that played at the elite collegiate level. So I think, you know, with NIL, you have this pocket of your hometown community. And like when Brandon Pajemski, you know, went to the draft, like, I know St. John's was going crazy up in Milwaukee, right? So there's that whole pocket right there. And then you have this pocket of uh, the campus community. So if we think about like Champaign-Urbana, us townies, right? We support all the athletes here because they're here for a little bit on their journey. And then you have this massive alumni and fan base, right? And so you're like, you're hitting all of these pockets literally at the same time. And I don't know if there's another type of influencer that can do the same. Hot take. I love it. There you go. You got homework. You got hot takes. You got it all here. Another episode of the NIL show. I'm Adam. That's Steven. There's Sean. We will see you guys next week. Hi, everybody. Adam Cook from Campus Inc. in the NIL store want to say real quickly thank you so much for listening and joining us on this journey and as a reminder if you ever need any custom merchandise youth jerseys camp t-shirts whatever it may be you can always find us at campus.inc and of course for all your nil needs nil.store we're going to jump into the episode i hope you enjoy <laughs>